What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Happy Tuesday. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I got a lot of kids going back to school next week. And my guest today, we're going to be talking about that education space. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business and social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business Bros. Bros. What up, ladies and gents? Again, dude, uh, Aaron, welcome to the program. Uh, I'm, not, I'm just going to cut to it. I want to get into this, uh, in, into this topic because uh, it's kind of near and dear to my heart. My wife and I are both high school educators. So for us, school starts on Monday. This week, uh, we're going to be having some, uh, some professional development days. I know there's a ton of teachers out there freaking out because the world has shifted on them and now they have to go completely digital. Uh, and, uh, that's one sense. And on the other sense, I think it's such a great thing that's happening here. A big shift in the education space is long overdue. So, uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Smith, uh, from workplace readiness solutions is here ready to talk about what this whole education space is like. Aaron, give me a little quick synopsis, uh, who you are and what you guys do. So my name is Aaron Smith. I am the founder of Workplace Readiness Solutions, and what we do is we help people change their view in the way they teach and learn. And we believe it's everybody's responsibility from the businesses to the community to the educators um, to align ourselves to fit the needs of the kids and basically build a better economy. That's 100% the truth. I don't know about you. Um, I have this whole idea of college compared to what it used to be to what I, where it is today. I'm a, I'm a big uh, advocate for figuring out what it is you want to do, but not really saying college is a must. As a matter of fact, for a lot of my kids, um, I, I'm even hesitant to say figuring it out in college is the way to go. It's way too expensive to try to go and figure it out. Uh, I think uh, there are so many avenues and so many opportunities for for quote unquote education today, uh, that you don't absolutely need the college, uh, the college direction in this case, right? I, I'm a big advocate for learning, never quit learning, but that doesn't necessarily mean I go to college. Uh, what, what do you, what's, uh, what's your point of view on, on that aspect? Well, I, in my opinion, to an extent, you're, you're partially right because a lot of people think college deals with four-year institutions. They think of the big universities like Clemson, Florida State, USC, things like that. But really, our belief should be getting kids at that next level of education, post-secondary, as you and I both know it as educators. And that could be one of three ways. One is, of course, the traditional four-year university way. Another one is community college, where they pick up a certification. Because mm -hmm. believe it or not, technicians are making just as much as people with four-year degrees. And I um, saw a study on that not too long ago. It was like 82, 83% of people making two-year technical degrees are making as much as four-year degrees. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's huge. It's, it's huge. That's, 
That is, and it isn't surprising, right? Like today, it, it you know, so many people are making, I, I'll use this in a social media light, right? You have people on social media that become extremely popular and they become extremely popular and they're talking about one small specific niche. I had a lady that's blowing up on TikTok and she talks about menstrual periods. I know there's other people who my wife follows that specifically, you know, they do design like little knickknacks and little things that they, that they put together for the house. Uh, you know, my daughter follows people people that, I mean, everything is so niche down. You become really good at doing this one thing and you get massive followings of people who find that thing interesting. And yep. that really does translate to the, to, you know, a, a financial aspect. Like if you become a really good welder or you become a really good carpenter, or you become a really good programmer or you, uh, app developer, you don't need a four-year degree. You need to be very good at that one thing and you will be paid very well for doing that thing. But that's mm -hmm. not, what the education system has been promoting lately no no education has been trying to get people well-rounded but really if you look at the way the industry is transforming if you look at uh places like google they no longer want somebody with a it degree if you're skilled and qualified they'll take you right off the spot and really that's the way the industry and the world needs to work is we need to develop multiple skills to become that perfectionist in that one area. You know, take a programmer, for example. Obviously, they're great at coding, but they also have analytical skills. And they also do things like an engineer. In other words, programming, setting things up, and executing it to a T. So when you take those three skills together and you fuse it into um, that programming field, you do become quite an impact in your company. So I totally so agree. So what does that mean for our traditional education system? What does that mean for the way we've been teaching kids since since they were little kids? Since, you know, for the last, I don't know, 100, 150 years, we've been educating them the same way since the industrial age. And yeah. the, the issue with that is, is, you know, I have a lot of kids. I have a lot of seniors that come to, to, to my class. I teach financial algebra. So I have a lot of seniors that come to my class. And by the time they reach me, they've given up on school for the last yeah. six years. You know, they, they hate it because it's a prison to go to. They don't really care to learn anything. Nothing's really interesting for them. And it's so sad because that same kid, if you looked at him when he was in kindergarten, first, second, third grade, I'm sure they came home fascinated about learning, wanting to expand their mind in every possible direction. What happened? Where did we lose them? So here is basically the perfect storm for educators. We're not even talking about COVID yet. That's, I'm sure that's coming down the road. Um, when you think about it, we're in the fourth industrial evolution. We're talking about the future work. We're talking about autonomous learning. But where have we as an educational society changed the ways that we teach, changed the ways that we deliver, changed the ways that we get feedback and engagement from kids? You know, you've got the great teachers who are putting forth the effort. They are putting forth great strides in doing it. But it seems like they're not firing on all strides. When you think about every student, you cannot develop the same plan for every student. You've got to tweak it. You've got to adjust it towards their needs, towards their interest and their modalities. And that's what makes it pretty hard to kind of figure out. So until we develop our, our own cachet of tools, delivery, and et cetera, et cetera, we're not going to get off this, uh, this ball that we're in. So I have a, I have a Facebook question. What are, what do you think are the, uh, like top jobs without college, the vocational technical occupations that you see coming up in the next like 10 years? 
the traditional trades. I'm talking about like plumbers, electricians. You know, those are universal jobs that can fit anywhere from a mom and pop electrical store to the shipyard, which develops aircraft carriers for the nation. You know, these guys are essential. And that's why they're getting paid some serious money because years for decades people do not want to be in those professions because they thought quote-unquote vocational was bad when you look at the flip side now you're over saturated with people that have college degrees and you don't have enough people that are like electricians and plumbers so that's why you're going to find a heck of a time finding one and when you do you better hold on to them yeah they are they are crucial parts of my rolodex once i have one they're labeled mm-hmm. on my on my cell phone contact oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and a mechanic you know i yeah. mean the three key people you want in your life so how how do we adjust that in the in in the school system I mean, we were we were having this discussion just uh, you know before that question and I, I and my my biggest concern is when you talk about modalities when you talk about you know modifying and tweaking for each individual student it's really difficult for one instructor to create a lesson plan that already you know encapsulates 60 70 hopefully 80 percent of the classroom and even then you're still thinking about how do i adjust for the 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 slower learners how do i adjust for the english learners how do i adjust for the the kids that are excelling really fast like there's already you know uh, scaffolding there's all all kinds of techniques but I, i feel like a lot of those techniques are really geared towards a traditional system. How do we get them to filter through and say, look, you really like working with your hands. This is the avenue that we should go to. You really like working, you know, on computers. You really like programming. You really like, you know, whatever it is. This is where your aptitude is at. This is where your strength is. How do we develop something that fits into that kind of criteria to help them achieve that? So, you know, from one educator to another, you know that the fundamentals to great teaching begins with the relationships, not only with the parents, but with the kids. And once the kids know that you're genuine and they know that your heart is with them, that's when you can have some honest and great conversations. Now, simultaneously, while you're doing that is you need to be working with the businesses and bringing in elements of STEM and STEAM into the courses. You think about it, STEAM is a representation of four industries, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The arts are integrated into it because we want kids creative, but the arts also develop and enhance neurodiversity. And that's what we really want to make sure is all populations of our students are being not only equally represented, but have that same opportunity as everybody else. When teaching evolved over the centuries, okay, we fail to adapt our teaching style. And I'm a perfect example of that. I've been in education for over 23 years. And I grew up as a math teacher, started six years as a math teacher. But one of the things that I realized that I was not doing was I was not bringing in enough world life problems. And when you think about it and you're teaching algebra one and you're solving for X, you think about how many kids get disconnected and get bored in a hurry. Whereas if you think about having them doing a line of best fit for drone, aerial imaging, tying it in like that, then you have the perfect opportunity to enhance their interest and also build up the rigor to it. Total win-win. Yeah, it, it because they're they're all of a sudden it's not really about the problem. They're having fun with it. They're trying to solve uh, a real life scenario problem, not a math problem. The math is a result of figuring out the solution to this particular situation and and you know it being able to do stuff like that 
um, in a post-COVID world gets even more difficult. What what mm-hmm. have you been hearing uh, and what, what's what's some of the main concerns that you've been uh, dealing with when it comes to parents or students uh, in this step into a new distant learning space? So I think, number one, everybody has anxiety overload right now. It's because we don't know what's going to happen in the situation week down the road, a month down the road, a year down the road. Mm-hmm. But what we have to do is we have to have a game plan. We have to have that, that all playbook ready to go from day one so that we integrate things day in and day out and really make sure that our kids are on point. The biggest disconnect that we have is that our kids are not engaged as much as they should on the Internet. And when you think about it, what are they engaged with? TikTok, social media, their friends. And we have to transfer the way that we teach and learn into that era a way that can be fun, a way that they can pick up super easy ideas, but also attract resources to them at the same time. Hmm. So give me an example of what that kind of looks like. I mean, so kids, my biggest concern right now, right? We're going to have distant learning. I'm going to have kids in my classroom. They're going to log on and I'm going to see that this person is in the classroom, but just like in the real classroom, their mind is going to be elsewhere. I might not be able to visually see their face, right? Our district oh, yeah, may not yeah, allow them yeah. to have a camera. So, They're online, but I'm worried that that kid's going to be playing video games while he's supposed to be paying attention to, to what we're talking about. And see, this is one of the common concerns that we have across America, much less across the world. You can't worry about the things you cannot control. But what you can control is ask the kids early on in the year, what interests you? How can I connect with you so that you have the best learning experience possible? You find out what kind of technical expertise or savviness they have. And then you also blend in what are things that they're afraid of. You know, get kids to be honest with you so that you are really connecting with them. And when you go live and you're right, you're not able to see them and you wonder if they're there or if they're in the other room playing games, you know, you call out on them, say, hey, Billy, did you get the answer to this? You put them in activities and you constantly have to keep them engaged from one component to another. How, how long do you guys teach? 60 minutes, 90 minutes? Uh, well, from what I'm hearing, we're, we're supposed to find out this week, uh, okay. but it's going to be something like 30 to 45 minutes asynchronous okay. and then uh, 30 to 45 minutes synchronous. So you think about it like this. The average attention span of an adult is 15 minutes if you're lucky. You better be chunking a lot of the stuff. And the way that you need to chunk it, you need to time a little bit of direct instruction. But do it in a way that you can have it on video where they can go back if needed. But you also do a lot of um, uh, independent thinking. You also do guided practice. But you use the Internet resources you use your social, excuse me, your uh, distance platform. And you also use a little bit of savviness that we all have in our DNA to find out how we can best connect with the kids. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. So uh, my wife teaches English and I've mm-hmm. seen her come up with some amazing activities already that she's going to have implementing in her class. Uh, and, you know, during COVID during this time, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time on the internet. And when you get on the internet, there's all kinds of great uh, conspiracy theory rabbit holes that you can follow in that you can fall into. Uh, and it got her thinking, you know, uh, there's so many things that people post online. You can't really trust a, a video clip anymore. You can't really trust, you know, something written on the Internet. You can't really there's a lot of things that you need to verify. And and that process of 
taking something that comes in on any media platform, TV, your social media feeds, a friend's text message, whatever it is, can you take that information and validate it? Do you have the research skills to go out and say, hmm, is this information valid? Where did they get their resources from? How am I getting this information? That ability to do something like that, that's a huge skill in today's world because it's not so much about can you calculate the answer. Google and the internet can help us calculate the answer. It's more about the why is that the right answer or how did you get to that answer or why is that answer even relevant? Yeah, and and you're so right because you think about it. Let's let's pick COVID for example. Your state uh, statistical numbers are probably right to a certain extent, and I say to a certain extent because they all have to report to the CDC. And you're talking about a ball moving in the water, so you're talking about different data sets, different data points. So that's where, as an English teacher, you got to say according to the CDC on such and such date, this was X Y Z. Whereas according to our state site, we say X, Y, Z on such and such a date. you got to be a little bit more specific, I think, in terms of validating your sources. And it's so funny you said that because tonight we were all joking around at the dinner table. You know, what's your source? What's your source? Because obviously COVID is a big issue in everybody's conversation. And the way that we're going to be able to say fact from fiction is to be able to validate it with a a what's called a um a credible source like a reputable source not wikipedia but something that really people know day in and day out are somewhat peer-reviewed mm. so uh it's almost like uh mom said it but where did mom get that information from right so in right. real life you know yeah you know, my mom said this is true well where did your mom get in that information from so kind of verifying your your source's source in a sense is mm -hmm. that what you're i kind of feel like that's what you're describing you, you have to, you, you, you really have to, because you just can't take anybody's word at it anymore when it comes to information. I'm not talking about your family or your faith. That's a whole different conversation. But when you're talking about something in the professional realm, you really need to substantiate your backing and your beliefs because that impact could have maybe a, a critical million dollar decision. Then. You know, it could be a situation where somebody has to make a decision on what to cut versus what to keep. It also could change the culture of a building because you come from unbiased, unsolicited information and it creates a toxic environment. So we all have to be careful in what we say and what we do because you're right. Not everything the media is pumping out is true. Number two is totally accurate. And number three is credible. There are a lot of parents uh, that I, I have. I have a couple teachers that I know teach at online schools uh, on a part-time basis. They used to do this prior to COVID, uh, and then COVID hits, and all of a sudden they went from you know having a handful of kids in these online platforms to having a boatload of kids. Parents are trying to escape the uh, "we're going to figure it out" traditional school and moving towards a, a practiced and proven system of online schooling because they want something that's a, a little more, you know, I guess, you know, seasoned, you know, um, mm -hmm. what, what do you think the shift is between those two? What's something that parents should be looking for in their new educate in, in the, in the new way of doing things, what they're, what, when their kids sign up to class, what should they be looking for in a teacher? And when should they decide that, you know, maybe moving to an alternative source is, is the way to go? What do you think? I think number one, I would hope that parent, that the teachers would reach out to me and say, Hey, look, you know, separate email, 
This is who I am. I want you to know a little bit about my background. This is what I need you to understand in terms of the platform and the way that I'm going to deliver the information. Here's what you need. Here's what I'm going to try to do every week to set up and make your life a little bit easier. And that builds trust right there. And when you see consistency built in day in and day out, and you see the opportunity where the teacher and the student have a chance to exchange in a conversation, and a conversation can be something as simple as texting, where you can see all the details spelled out, or actually face-to-face like we're doing right now, you know, it's that's where the trust is going to become inherently uh, seen. Parents also have to understand that we as teachers don't expect them to teach the material. I don't expect kids to teach to for parents to learn chemistry. And I, what I need them to do is understand that if a child is struggling, they've got to communicate to us because kids, most part, unfortunately, are not going to reach out to us and tell us, hey, I'm stuck. Yeah. Well, you know, the struggle is real. The struggle is mm-hmm. a good thing. When, when a kid doesn't understand something and they have to ask a question, that is the process of learning. That's the gem. This is the struggle that we want them to go through. But oftentimes they try to find the easiest solution, which is, you know, can I get the answer key on the internet? Can I help mom and dad? You know, like, you know, maybe mom and dad can give me the answer. Uh, they, I feel like oftentimes, and, and I know I'm guilty of it sometimes myself, uh, it, we don't let our kids struggle enough. We don't let them figure out the answer. We don't give them the opportunity to learn. The traditional school system has taught us that failure is bad. Uh, We're not supposed Mm -hmm. to fail. And in all reality, failure is actually the best thing that could happen. The fact that you didn't get that answer correct and that you're going to struggle and persevere to get there, that's what we want to hear. That's what we want to see. That's where the real learning and growth happens. And you are so right on this. And, and I bring this up because you think about how many times we hit our butts when we started to walk. You know, we didn't give up then, but we kept trying and we kept trying. And the final evaluation was when we were able to do it. In education, we're measured by our assessment. And what I've seen for anything is when we're not given the opportunity to show growth in a child's ability to learn. I think that needs to be taken into consideration just as much as that final grade for the end of the year. When we teach and we deliver the material, we're not always going to hit a home run the first time around either, no matter how many years we taught it. So we have to reflect, we have to revamp, and we have to give those kids that same opportunity to reflect and revamp and be reassessed. I, I totally agree. And it's funny. We did the whole common core thing, mastery over time. Um, and my question was always how much time, <laughs> but, but at the same token, like that's, that's the truth of the matter is you are going to learn over time. It, it does spiral into, you know, you learn one thing and you build on it, on it like a Lego. Um, I got another mm-hmm. Facebook question uh, in, in your, and this is something that I, I read about you anyways. What does the perfect school look like? I know that's a, that's a very broad uh, question, but what <laughs> does the, what would the perfect school look like in, in your, in your opinion? So the perfect school means that you have basically everybody on the same vision. You have kids who want to come to learn every day. You have teachers who love to teach it and don't mind going that extra mile. You have administrators who are resourceful enough to make sure all kids have the opportunity to learn but more importantly, understand every child's backstory and gives them supports to be successful. 
So when you tie it in from the school perspective, that's just one component of it. Another component of it is making sure that our parents are accountable. And when I say accountable, that they have the ability to assist us when we need them. And whether it's being a phone call away or sitting with them side by side, trying to help figure out what's wrong with that skill that they're not picking up, that's critical. But what really is going to triangulate it is when the businesses come together and we understand the needs of the business and we're able to produce competent and confident citizens that are going to change those diplomas to dollars, regardless of post-secondary level, military, you know, making that, that, um, that range from high school to degree. Well, let me throw a wrench in it a little bit because uh, I'm, I'm with you. Ideally, if I can have parent support, uh, if they can, you know, for example, you know, we're, we're starting off with some of the basic math concepts, uh, you know, uh, number sense type stuff when we first get started this semester. And so we're asking things like, can we make sure that the kid doesn't have a calculator? We want them, you know, I know mm-hmm. that the calculator can do, you know, 25 plus 37. It's not the purpose of, of the, of the calculation. It's the understanding mm-hmm. the, the placeholders, right? So, so having that parent support is huge. A lot of parents issues with distant learning right now is not uh, it, some of the big issues anyways, not so much the education side is my kid needs to be out of the house. I have to go to work. You know, I can't be there to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. I have to go and make sure I earn a living. How do you think we can combat that or, or, or help supplement some of that support uh, in a situation like that? We first have to have an honest conversation. And when I say honest, not to embarrass anybody, but really to find out how to best serve kids, because that's why we went into the business. And that just means that we've got to pick up the phone. We've got to make sure we communicate with our parents and find out why and what are things happening. We have kids who still don't have internet access. You know, we have parents, like you said, who work three jobs who are deployed and are just not available to do that. So that's where we need those guardians to say, hey, look, this is what we need. This is how we know you can help us. And that's when the teachers have to call the audible. They have to be able to understand if I've got five kids out of 25 that are not able to log on, let's say from two to three, why can't you record part of it? and make them sit in for maybe the 15, 20 minute mark, just enough for them to check in, see if they have any questions from the previous lesson. You know, you all work together towards that common solution. You know, that's where it has to be, is everybody meeting in the middle to be successful. That's huge. I mean, it, it it's almost a vulnerability thing, right? You, you have a hard time for students to come up to the teacher and say, I'm sorry, uh, I don't understand that, or you know, I need help, or whatever the situation is. Uh, and then to have, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So we have to have uh, the parents that have the same issues for them to come to the table and say, you know, I can't give my kid internet access. I have four kids in the house, and I only have two technical devices. Like that, I don't have time for all of them to be able to do things at the same time. Uh, to have that yep. tough conversation and be okay with having it, I think oftentimes it becomes uh, a conversation that a lot of parents may have a struggle with, right? To, to come to the table and, and be open like that. Um, but it's exactly what we need. It's exactly the type of communication on, on all fronts that would make things so much better. 
It, it is. And, and there's definitely a pride factor in there. And, and we're not trying to be disrespectful, but we're trying to do everything we can do to help their children. And I think coming from that approach humbly, and if the kid understands, this is where I was going back to that, that relationship. If the kid knows your heart is there and they talk to the parent and they know that that teacher is there for them, I think they're going to be more inclined to reach out and say, I need help with this. You know, and one of the things that that we're really struggling with as an educator is we're used to body cues. We're used to proximity and, you know, some of those physical cues that we could see in the classroom. But with distance learning, that's a whole different regime because once the camera's cut off, you have no idea what's going on in there. It could be utopia. It could be a total nightmare. And you got maybe... 20 minutes to make a quick done and dirty assessment. Okay. I need to follow up on Billy really quick because I'm a little worried. It's funny you say that because I, I, you know, one of the, the, my favorite parts of teaching was that interaction with the kids. Like right away as a teacher, you know, which ones are screwing off, you know, which ones are the comedians, you know, which ones, you know, you Mm -hmm. get that sense when you're in person to be able to handle that classroom. You know, I got to keep an eye on this one. I got to, you know, I can trust this one a little more. This one, I got to, you know, make sure that when they go to the bathroom, they, I put the clock on, you know, all these different things personality wise. Um, and not just that you kind of have an audience. So when I'm telling a story or I'm sharing a situation and, you Mm -hmm. know, I say something, I expect laughs or I expect shock. I get that from my students. Now, I'm teaching a laptop. I'm talking to a screen. I might not even be able to see the kids or hear the kids. The interaction's not the same. My presentation's going to be completely different. Uh, it does. It's going to be a total change in how we do things. It is because the way we were taught in our teaching classes is totally different than what we're doing now. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But where are we picking up the pieces and the cues and the inferences through the distance learning that we basically had instilled in us in the classrooms? That's the bridge that we've really got to focus on this year. You know, between what, February to June, we were in survival mode. We were trying to do anything and everything we can. And and I'm hoping that as as a as a field we've been able to make a lot of huge strides and closing in some of those gaps and i'm really hoping that we have more counselors and you know more social workers being able to tap in online to assist kids that aren't able to be out there in the schools where they typically see them yeah and and uh you know looking at, at facebook over here um you know we I'm, I, I live in National City. It's a, it's a city close in the San Diego area, and one out of our local high schools yeah. here. They have a uh, they have a, a community program um, where they are teaching kids how to be welders, and a lot of these kids go straight out of high school and work in the shipyards. I mean, it's right there down the street, and making great livings and 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 providing for their households and and helping you know elevate the community, all that sort of stuff. I really hope that there are more connections between the public school system and the private sector uh, to come together and, you know, put these things to, you know, put them to the test. Like this is the type of student that I need. If I can create a Mm -hmm. curriculum to help, you know, get the student through high school, but at the same time facilitate the skill set 
we have a job opening for that person. And I keep, you know, I was saying this before COVID and I would warn teachers. I'm like, your job is not hundred percent secure. Just wait till Google, yeah. Facebook, Amazon, you know, wait till these big tech companies decide to put together a curriculum that guarantees them a job in their industry. You are going to be SOL because you're teaching in antiquated ways. We're part of a system that is, that is old and ready to be replaced get ready for a change. And then of course COVID happened. Nobody saw this one coming, but that's, <laughs> that's where I saw the world, you know, shifting in that direction where big business, big companies, big corporations that are bringing all the jobs, they're the ones who are going to influence what kind of education system we need going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And there it's already happening. I mean, there's a pen, a uh, smart pen called Kate, K A I T. And basically what that does is as you write information down, it is, has a mini camera recorder in there and it has a smart device where it picks up everything from your pen strokes to actually seeing if you got the answer right or wrong. And the teacher can determine the data right then and there uh, once it loads to the docking station, you know, where the breakdown was. It's already happening. And mm. I don't say that to be scaring people, but we really need to access this technology as an opportunity and boost our skills and our intuition to get us over this hump. I 100% agree. Scary times, though. Anything that's changing, anything you don't know what's on the other side, when you walk into a room, even if you walked into it a ton of times, if it's dark and you can't see, it's a little it's a little creepy. But uh, but once you get past it, you see, you know, there's there, the brightness, you know, the, the sun comes just after the dark. It's going to be a great day, you know, tomorrow once we get past these little hurdles. Uh, Aaron, I'm running close on time here. Uh, tell me a little bit about your program, what it is that you're offering, and how people can get a hold of you. So part of my job is to help educators, help businesses, and help the communities find out what their needs are in terms of development, in terms of education, just getting to the next level for workforce development. And, you know, through my services, I'm doing everything from distance learning, helping bridge that, uh, creating digital lesson plans uh, with another company in another country, and, and just doing some things that are really helping educators and businesses get to that next level, you know. And, and through the use of STEM, we're able to make that happen and more. Awesome. Ladies and gents, check out uh, Aaron on uh, social media feeds at Aaron Smith PhD, and you can find more information on things that he's putting out there uh, at uh, on his website www.aaronsmithphd.com. Aaron, thank you very much for uh, spending some time with me today. Again, great conversation. It's it, it it's something that's that's gonna happen next week we start kicking it off and everybody's gonna be looking for resources i'm glad i got to uh got to get to know you a little bit and, and know the resources that you're putting out there thank you very much oh it's an honor thanks for having me I'm looking forward to many more conversations with you oh absolutely we're gonna be talking some more ladies and gents that's all we got for you guys today enjoy the rest of your tuesday afternoon peace and we're out Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the Business Bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the Insurance Bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.